The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 22 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 20, Vengeance is Ours. This issue is written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Wally Wood, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in September of 1965. So this is a big deal because this is the first issue in which Wally Wood makes an appearance working on the Avengers. For those who are not familiar familiar with Wally Wood, Mr. Wood is kind of a big deal. He goes all the way back to EC Comics, the infamous company that had a lot to do with the introduction of the comics code, specifically the EC editor, William Gaines, and his testimony before Congress. So obviously Wood was not a part of that specifically, but that's the company he was associated with. Wally Wood actually also goes back and worked on the first 24 issues of Mad Magazine, which is also something published by EC EC originally, and then continued to be published by Gaines once EC folded. So Wally Wood is a big name in comics, very, very, very talented artist, and he's also become known for what is called Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work. The 22 panels are a series of panels, really just kind of compositional sketches that Wally would use to keep pages interesting and kind of dynamic, especially when there were a lot of talking heads going on. Wood kind of prided himself in being as efficient as possible because comics is a really low-paying industry. So Wood had these, originally it was actually 24 sketched panels, and he shared them with a select number of his assistants. One of those assistants happened to be Larry Hama, who is best known for his work on G.I. Joe and bringing to life most of the characters that we associated with the G.I. Joe franchise. However, when Hama was an artist and an editor at Marvel, he brought the 22 panels with him to Marvel and basically introduced them to the rest of the world outside of Wood's few assistants. So between Wally Wood's 22 panels... And I say 22 because originally there were 24, but two of them, Larry Hamma was unable to duplicate. The sketches were too faint, I guess, to photocopy. But Hamma brought these 22 panels to Marvel, and then from there they really disseminated to the rest of the comic book world. And they really are a fantastic reference for comic artists. Again, they're not an end-all, but they are 22 solid panels, solid compositions that can be used to help liven up and keep things interesting. That's why Wallywood is really important in comics. Now, as far as our issue goes, Wally Wood's just a damn good anchor and a damn good cover artist. And getting into it, Wally Wood actually did the cover for this issue, and it's a pretty good looking cover. You know, my one complaint on this one is probably that Swordsman is really, really tiny towards the top. It doesn't bug me a whole lot because Swordsman was the villain from last time, and he got such a prominent placement on the cover last issue, but it would be nice to see him a little bit larger than that. Moving on to the issue proper, we pick up almost where we left off last issue, in that Cap is plummeting to the ground below after throwing himself off a plank where he was being held at sword point by swordsmen. But of course, this being the Avengers, they're not just going to let him die, so... 
Quicksilver grabs a local television radial and begins running in circles, creating an updraft with which to catch Captain America and slow his descent. While Quicksilver does that, Cap rotates himself ever so slightly and lines himself up so that Hawkeye can shoot the rope that is binding Cap's hands. And then Scarlet Witch uses her hex powers to lower a beam for Cap to land on. Once Cap is landed safely, Quicksilver provides him with his shield and now the Avengers are off to confront Swordsman once again. So it's a nice little bit of teamwork there. Everybody is really doing exactly what they need to do to execute the plan and save Cap's life. Even Cap is involved. So now in this building under construction, the Avengers are confronting Swordsman and eventually they are able to drive Swordsman and kind of corral him to a point where they can all surround him. And right as they get him cornered, Cap tells the Avengers, all of you stay back. Whatever he tries, I'll handle it. And right as Cap and the rest of the Avengers are about to move in, Swordsman disappears right before their eyes. Even Swordsman is surprised. He says, this isn't my doing. It must be one of you. And eventually Swordsman just straight up disappears and we'll catch up with swordsman in just a moment here but while we're waiting for that you know the avengers are a not only stunned but b they're kind of pissed Hawkeye and Quicksilver are of the opinion that had Cap not told them to hold back, that they would have been able to get a hold of Swordsman before he disappeared, and they wouldn't be in the situation that they are now. So we've got a little bit of tension brewing between our Avengers here. I do have to say, and I, and I will repeat this throughout the issue, Wally Wood's inking on this book is great. I've commented on how Don Heck is a very detail-heavy style, especially for this particular era, and Wally Wood's inks just work so well with that style. I really enjoy it. Towards the end of this issue, we're going to get some really cool stuff, and I'll get into it when we get there, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself reading this issue. I'll also admit, I did not see Swordsman disappearing as, like, an option. I really like it when a book can surprise me like that. All right, they're going to pin him in a corner, and he's going to get away somehow. You know, he's going to fight his way through or something. But disappearing was not on my list of how that was going to happen. And that's fun. So, picking up things with the Swordsman, we find that the Swordsman has been teleported to the headquarters of the Mandarin. The Mandarin being a long-standing Iron Man villain. And we get a really great, kind of grand, two-thirds of a page, three-quarters almost, introduction to the Mandarin sitting on this massive technological throne. Now, admittedly, the Mandarin's costume looks a little bit doofy, but otherwise, like, this is a good look for the Mandarin. You know, it's very fitting for a villain of his gravitas, other than the giant M on his chest chest and the, the dopey looking face mask. I, I dig it. Once introductions have been made, the Mandarin goes on to tell Swordsman that the reason he's brought him here is that he wants to help destroy the Avengers from within because Iron Man is his great foe and Mandarin wants to destroy the Avengers because he knows that Iron Man will someday return to the team and he wants to be ready so he can attack Iron Man at the time. Uh, we'll find out here shortly that he's actually planning to have Swordsman plant a bomb in Avengers headquarters and set it off whenever Iron Man decides to return to the team. But obviously the Mandarin isn't going to just demand something for nothing, so he offers to improve Swordsman's sword. Swordsman isn't too keen on this, he doesn't want to give up his sword, and the Mandarin says, that's too bad, I'm just going to take it and do what I want with it. Swordsman disagrees still, and then the Mandarin stuns him, knocking him into unconsciousness. And this is probably about the point where Swordsman begins to realize that he is well and truly out of his league. And we will see this more and more as we go through the issue, that there are really several, like, classes, but levels of villainy in the Marvel Universe and Swordsman and the Mandarin are on very different planes of existence. 
Back at Avengers Mansion, the conflict we've been seeing with the Avengers the last couple of issues is kind of coming to a head right here, in that Hawkeye especially, but really Hawkeye and Quicksilver, both are finding considerable flaw in Captain America's leadership, and I can understand why. Cap is doing what he feels is best, but Cap is being really overly protective and not willing to let his teammates do the work that they're there to do. I can see how it's frustrating for Hawkeye and for Quicksilver, especially because both of them have ambitions to lead the team themselves. Now, Cap is still the most obvious leader and will be for a while, but there are things Cap needs to get over and this protective nature is one of them. So Hawkeye first challenges Cap for the leadership of the team, but then ends up competing with Quicksilver, basically to figure out which one of them gets to go against Cap. And Cap kind of quietly steps to the background for this. There's a couple things going on here I want to talk about. One, I like this competition between Quicksilver and Hawkeye. So the actual contest is, is that Hawkeye will attempt to shoot an arrow at the calendar. It's one of those calendars where you rip off a page every day. So Hawkeye is going to shoot the calendar. Quicksilver is going to race towards the calendar and see if he can rip off the page before the arrow gets to the calendar. It's a seemingly legitimate competition to compare their two strengths. Now, what I really love about it, though, one, we finally get the better-looking Quicksilver running. I've been complaining about that for a while now, and this is a much better look for Quicksilver running. We still have a lot of, like, the speed lines, which I am totally okay with. You've got to convey his quickness of motion somehow, so the speed lines do that just fine. But I now can see his face and part of his costume and, you know, a much better outline of his hands and and legs and instead of just being a green silhouette with lines there's now definition to that character and, and it looks so much better the other part about it is this race thing goes on for three panels and they do a decent job of providing a little bit of suspense of who's going to win. In the end, it's Quicksilver, which kind of makes sense. It's a contest of speed. So if Hawkeye had won, that would really undermine Quicksilver's powers. But there's a little bit of tension, a little bit of doubt as to who's going to win. And it's a fun little competition. So then another thing is that, like I mentioned earlier, Cap kind of steps to the background a little bit. And I think that really goes back to Cap's training as a military man, as a soldier. Suddenly two of his, I don't want to call them enemies, but two of his rivals who have an issue with him decide they want to fight it out between themselves first. So Cap is going to let them deal with one another and then he'll take on the victor. That means Cap's going to take on the stronger one. Well, yes and no. The reality is, under a lot of circumstances, if Cap does that, he may be taking on the stronger of the two, but each of them having just finished competing with one another or fighting one another will be weakened themselves so that Cap may be fighting the stronger of the two, but neither of them is at 100 percent anymore and cap is still unscathed now obviously in something like this it's a very harmless thing quicksilver and hawkeye are certainly no worse for the wear but it really is kind of just an instinctive thing that kicks in on cap it's a very tactical decision for him to make really on instinct alone Lastly, I'm a little surprised by Scarlet Witch's defense of Captain America. And, you know, I really shouldn't be, because I have mentioned this back in issue 17, that there's a little bit of something there. It never truly gets explored, a romantic relationship between Cap and Wanda. But there is ever so slightly a draw there. And I think the fact that Scarlet Witch is being a little on the protective side of Cap, taking his side a little bit, supporting his leadership a a little bit more. I think that is kind of indicative of, I don't want to call it her feelings towards him, but almost her kind of feeling things out. Do I have feelings? Is this something that could be? We've all been there. 
this is a new situation. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm going to feel things out a little bit. And that's what I think Scarlet Witch is. Now, returning to the lair of the Mandarin, we find the Mandarin returning Swordsman's Sword with a number of upgrades made to it, allowing it to do all kinds of really cool things based on the buttons that Mandarin has installed on the hilt of the sword. So, I'm down for some, you know, technological upgrades to something like Swordsman's Sword. It does things like, gives off lightning now. That's really cool. I want a sword that gives off lightning. Later on, we'll see it has a disintegration ray. I would also like a sword with a disintegration ray. Now, where I find a little bit of a flaw here is that they're all in the handle of the sword and the hilt. So how do you fight with it without accidentally pressing buttons? You know, I don't want to accidentally shock myself with lightning while I'm in the middle of defending or attacking, really, or anything. I don't want to get shocked by lightning. That doesn't seem appealing to me. So I don't know if there's like a little, like a lock button on there. You know, is this like my iPhone where I got to put the thumbprint on, then I got I to gotta push the button at the same time? I don't know what's going on here, but I feel like just having that many buttons loose without any kind of extra security or control really is asking for something to go wrong kind of horribly. But nonetheless, Swordsman seems pretty pleased and then the Mandarin escorts Swordsman to execute the plan further. And he shows Swordsman into a room where he has all kinds of technological stuff, we'll call it, including a piece of equipment that is able to replicate Iron Man's look and sound and then project the image wherever he needs to. So back at Avengers Mansion, Iron Man shows up, or at least the image of Iron Man. And, you know, the Avengers are a little surprised because they thought he was off in Europe fighting Titanium Man. And Iron Man tells him, well, no, I'm just I'm projecting my image here in between rounds of fighting Titanium Man. Now, I've got two things on this one. First off. I love the fact that we're seeing the projecto image again and that this time we're using it against the heroes. This is a technology we've seen twice so far. Tony Stark has the ability to project an image and sound really almost anywhere in the world. We saw it way back when in, I believe it was issue three, and then we saw it again later when Wasp used it looking for Giant Man on this hostage Earth, Avengers number 12. So now we've seen it twice before when the heroes get to use it. Well, now the Mandarin is using it against the heroes, making them think that it's Iron Man. And I love that little perversion there. My other thing here, though, is a little bit of a complaint. Iron Man is like, I'm calling you in between rounds of fighting Titanium Man. Is this like a boxing match? Do you guys stop? You went to your separate corners and you're making a phone call? I don't get it. It's dumb. But at any rate, Iron Man, and we'll call it Iron Man for the moment, obviously though we know it is the Mandarin, Iron Man tells them that they need to accept Swordsman onto the team. Iron Man had sent him personally to join the team, and that the Avengers didn't give him a chance last time when he showed up. That he was attempting to demonstrate how powerful he is, and how useful he could be, and you guys didn't listen, you just chased him off and didn't give him a chance to prove himself. Now, Hawkeye speaks up and doesn't have particularly nice things to say to Iron Man, and you know, Hawkeye's got kind of a point. The Avengers sized up swordsman they evaluated him and they didn't find that he was up to snuff and then iron man goes a little below the belt here and takes a swing at the fact that hey hawkeye you may not think he's up to snuff because of his record but hey you know you didn't have a perfect record either and we let you on the team it's kind of a dick move by iron man if it were the real iron man certainly more of a dick move it's fake iron man so kind of expected dick move but nonetheless that hurts i am a little perplexed here about how readily the avengers accept this iron man projection and his word now i can understand if iron man were standing right in front of them but if iron man just projects himself in you know i'm gonna have some doubts because how do i know this is the real iron man and you know maybe part of this is just me projecting the fact that 
I know it's not really Iron Man. I know it's the Mandarin playing a trick on the team. But we've seen this kind of thing in the past where someone has tried to get on the team to the team's detriment. In some cases, they've had far more success getting on the team, like Wonder Man, than really anyone cares to admit. But taking the word of the projection, it seems like they're a little too willing to trust again. Or at least Captain America is. And, you know, I think some of that goes back to Captain America and the time period he's from. You know, I've argued before that the time period the Cap is from isn't all that different than the time period he's in now, the 1930s, 1940s to the 1960s. Really, it's only one generation. But at the same time, there are noticeable changes. And I think the ability to take a man at their word, and when I say a man, I mean anyone, but when you're able to take someone at their word, that I think that means a lot more to the, the 1930s, 1940s generation than it does in the 1960s. I kind of look at it as the difference between my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation because that actually, age-wise, really settles in nicely with my family and the fact that there are certain things I think my grandparents just took for granted that my parents, because of the time period in which they were raised, can't take the same way. And I think that's why Captain America is so willing and really adamant to just trust Iron Man's word. So with that, the Mandarin transports Swordsman to a nearby location where he makes his way to Avengers Mansion. And Captain America, for the most part, welcomes him in. Hawkeye is rather unwilling to, especially given their personal past. But Cap welcomes him in, though at least Cap decides that he's going to keep an eye on Swordsman. And in fact, for the next few days, all of the Avengers have a pretty close eye on Swordsman. But even still, eventually he's able to plant a small experiment Explosive, small though extremely powerful from what we gather, in the Avengers control room. That night, however, the Mandarin comes to Swordsman, much in the same way that he projected Iron Man's image, he's now projecting his own image, and he tells Swordsman, I've had a change of mind. I want you to blow up the Avengers now. Instead of waiting for Iron Man to come back to the team so that I can kill Iron Man, what we're going to do is we're going to blow up the Avengers and cause Iron Man to come and investigate, and then we're going to trap Iron Man. The Mandarin's plot isn't terrible here. I think the plot of just waiting for Iron Man to show up so we can kill him, that one was kind of dumb because you have no idea when he's coming back. Currently in the comics, Iron Man has given no indication that he is coming back to the Avengers anytime soon. So you're waiting for something that may or may not happen. Obviously we as modern readers know Iron Man will come and go many, many times over the years. But at this point, there's really no inkling that he's going to come back. So the plot to just kill the Avengers and draw Iron Man in seems pretty solid, except for the fact that they're like, we'll set off the bomb and then we'll trap Iron Man. How are you going to trap Iron Man? You're skipping over the important details of this plan. All right, we're going to trap Iron Man. How? Good job on getting him here. Now what? And I feel like that now what part is one of the more important parts. So the Mandarin departs, Swordsman gets dressed, and goes off and he decides he can't do this. He said, I could take pride in a victory in battle, but this is different. Even an enemy deserves a fighting chance. The swordsman cannot stoop to assassination. So swordsman goes and he removes the bomb. However, in a classic, classic comic book, really cliche, but I hate to say cliche because it's got the wrong connotation. Cliche is a very bad connotation. This is not a bad thing. It's, it's a trope, but it's more than a trope. It happens so often that I have a hard time calling it a trope, but it doesn't have the same negative feeling that a cliche has. But at any rate, just as he is removing the bomb, he gets caught by the rest of the Avengers who assume he's planting a bomb. Of course, Swordsman tries to explain, no, 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 this isn't what you think. I'm 
getting rid of the bomb I already planted. I know how that sounds, but you got to trust me now. I, I know I planted a bomb, but now I'm getting rid of it. And the Avengers are having none of this. Specifically, it's Hawkeye and Captain America are having just none of this. And they go full force for swordsmen. Once again, we get a several page, in this case, a three page fight scene between swordsman captain america hawkeye and then eventually scarlet witch kind of jumps in the mix and you know for being the fast one quicksilver basically shows up at the end here but this is a really really cool fight and i I know i say that on a somewhat regular basis but hear me out we get to see more of swordsman's new sword powers we'll call them so he shoots flame from his sword and then he uses a disintegration ray you know he gets to use some really cool stuff with the sword that's always fun what makes this fight really great though is the fact that it happens in avengers mansion at night so most of the lights are off there's a little bit of illumination and Wally Wood and his inks do a fantastic job of conveying A, the action, but B, and more importantly, the setting of the fight. Everything looks dark. I mean, you get the brightly colored floors, but all of the machinery has shadows across it, except for the like the spotlight that we find swordsmen in. And then constantly around the characters, there are these heavy, heavy shadows that are overtaking considerable parts of the panel. They're clashing almost entirely against a black background, which is very different than where we're used to. Usually when you see a fight that doesn't have a whole lot of background to it, they're usually fighting against some kind of bright, solid color. And in this case, you have some of the bright solid color but you've got a lot of black and heavy shadows also playing into it and it just it's a very different look than we've seen so far but it fits the setting and what's going on so well it's hard not to love it but at any rate swordsman manages to escape through the use of some of his new sword powers and an unfortunate execution of scarlet witch's hex powers and the book ends with swordsman looking down from a new york rooftop and mandarin back at his headquarters losing his mind in rage and the two men are very much on different sides of this you know swordsman is glad to be rid of the mandarin just as swordsman was leaving the avengers mansion he ditched the bomb which mandarin set off because he suspected that mandarin might betray him like that but swordsman has an interesting feeling toward the avengers now he doesn't necessarily want to be a part of the team not really but he says there's something about being an avenger that even a bogus one that seems to get into your blood and never let go There's a, it's not even begrudging, but there's a certain level of respect for the Avengers and what they're doing that the Swordsman now has. The Mandarin, on the other hand, is just adding Swordsman to a list of enemies. And he is just raging and flying off the handle. And that's where our book ends. Now, there's a couple things going on here. So, in spite of some of the disagreements we're seeing amongst the Avengers, especially Hawkeye and Captain America, the team is doing a really good job of fighting together and looking out for one another. And there is still tremendous amounts of trust between the teammates. You know, Cap threw himself off of a roof knowing that his teammates were going to save him. I am certain that when Cap threw himself from the roof, he said, they got this. I'm not worried. And even Cap has a 
part to play in that. Or he lines himself up and holds himself still so Hawkeye can shoot the ropes off his hands. So even into the short time they've been together, they have this really strong team dynamic and strong bond. You know, the team really trusts one another. You know, eventually they'll work through their little issues and kind of move forward. Obviously, there's still going to be some interpersonal drama because comic books really are a, you know, soap opera for nerds. And the books thrive off of that interpersonal drama. So it won't ever go away, but the team will get along, I think, a little bit better as a whole. The other thing worth coming back to is, like I mentioned, there's a couple of different levels of villain going on here. And the two villains we have in this book, Swordsman and the Mandarin, really are on very different levels. The Swordsman is kind of a costumed adventurer, but, you know, slightly on the dark side of things. He really is more in it for himself and for the adventure than it is for saving people and doing good. But other than being, like I said, borderline narcissistic and and self-interested and a bit greedy, Swordsman isn't necessarily a straight-up bad person. You know, I think everyone can pretty much pinpoint a friend or someone they know who is kind of like Swordsman, maybe just not dialed up to a like Swordsman is. But they're not the world's worst person. And Swordsman has demonstrated things like a sense of honor and not wanting to just assassinate the Avengers. Things like that that kind of separate him from other villains. And then you've got the Mandarin, who is power-hungry and desires to defeat his enemies at no matter what cost. You know, the Mandarin is willing to blow up the other Avengers to get to Iron Man. You know, first off, he wants to blow up Iron Man, right? He doesn't just want to, like, beat Iron Man. He wants Iron Man dead and crispy. Mandarin is also used to being obeyed. When he tells Swordsman, give me your sword, he means give me your sword. And when Swordsman doesn't listen, Mandarin doesn't care. He does it anyway. He just takes it. The Mandarin really is on a vastly different level than Swordsman and is really that kind of megalomaniac, power-hungry, win-at-all-costs kind of villain. This is who I think of when I think of supervillain. Not the Mandarin in particular. I don't usually think of the Mandarin when I think of supervillain. But Mandarin in this context certainly fits the idea of a supervillain. He's more than just a villain. He is everything taken to the extreme. And throughout the issue, Swordsman realizes, hey... I'm in over my head. And eventually he makes the right choice in terms of he pulls the bomb and he gets rid of it. Is it the best choice for Swordsman? No. You know, he really ends up in a much worse place than where he started two issues ago. This issue and then last issue, when we first met Swordsman, he was doing okay for himself. Now, burn some bridges. He's made an enemy of the Mandarin. He's now on the Avengers radar. Not necessarily the best thing for him to do. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be reading Avengers number 21, The Bitter Taste of Defeat. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.